test of time. I'm Susan Arasli. I'm David Daw. And this is a podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture from the very first award ceremony to eventually the present year. Each week we watch a different movie and review it for you. And when we've watched all the movies in a particular year, we'll tell you which movie should have won and why. This week, we watched Alibi, a sort of gangster movie from 1929. That was not amazing. No, I think I want to start off with, is this the worst movie we watched? Uh, that's a hard one because I feel like in old Arizona was wildly offensive, but the acting was good. And this had some of the worst acting I've ever seen committed to film. Yeah, this is a more technically proficient film than in old Arizona was. Like, you could hear upwards of half of the scenes in this movie. Which is not to say that the sound editing was good, because it was real bad. I started making a list of like things, positive things to say about this movie and then stopped because I could only come up with three. And one of them was literally they could have done blackface and they actually hired a black guy for a minor one line character. That's one of the best things I could say about this movie. That is one of the best things you could say about this movie. And, and to be fair is pretty unusual for the time period. I feel like we should sum up the plot of this movie, but it's simultaneously one sentence long. And it's like one of those movies where there's so little plot. Like the plot is a gangster has an alibi. The cops figure out his alibi is fake. They send him back to prison. Oh, wait, you missed like the critical part. That's what I'm saying is that like the actual plot is so short that you have to go to this fallback position of here is every single incident that happened in this film. Also, his alibi is his wife, who happens to be the police chief's sergeant's uh, or just sergeant. It's not really some clear. cop's daughter, the cop that doesn't like him. Which also just seems like up there with the signs aliens on overcomplicated bad plans. Why did he need to actually go to any of these crimes in the first place? <laughs> Couldn't he have just established his alibi and then fucking stayed there and then used the 13 other people doing crimes with him to like actually do the crime? Couldn't he have not married the police chief's daughter to draw attention to himself? Well, to speak to the first part, he wasn't critical to the commitment of said crime. As they always say, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. It's the part where you shoot the undercover cop that's following you because of your unnecessarily complicated criminal enterprise that really catches the guy. And the undercover cop takes... So long to die. So long. I've never seen a death scene before where I think both Tim Heidecker and David Lynch would be like, ooh, we gotta cut this down. <laughs> this is really drawn it out. Like, we gotta... This has got to be in under five minutes. My favorite thing about it is that there's two separate times where you think it's over. And he, because he pauses for over a minute and just sits there twice. And you think like, is it? Oh, no, he's talking again. And then he stops again and stares off into space. And then the music starts swelling and you think, oh, well, now surely he's dead now. And then he goes, do you hear that? And you realize, oh my god, the music is taking place in the world of the film. And we're going to have yet more death monologue about it. 
I feel bad we're focusing so much on this death, but it's literally the only interesting thing that happens in this entire film. I don't disagree with that, unless you're just looking at the set design. Yeah, the set design, that was the that was number one on my list of positive things to say about this movie. One, set design. Two, didn't do blackface. Three, I guess less offensive than in old Arizona generally, but there's also... There's some complicated stuff with that daughter. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then to go back to your second point about it's not the crime, mm-hmm. it's the cover-up. Maybe don't marry the police chief's daughter? There was no reason that they were married that I could see. Any affection or passion that would drive them to fully undo to marry one another was completely absent. And it seemed like from the police sergeant, mm-hmm. we'll say sergeant, I don't think he was the chief, that his daughter just basically liked to run around with gangsters to rebel? Yes. Well, I mean, here to me is the most complicated thing about this film, which this film totally does not understand is complicated in any way, which is the <laughs> daughter, like, introduces herself by turning down a proposal by this rando cop dude, who it turns out is our protagonist, but registers as a rando. Um, <laughs> and her monologue about why she's not doing it is about how terrible cops are and it has a bunch of examples of horrible things cops do which the cops in this film then proceed to all do yeah there is that there is definitely an anti-police bent to this but it's not sophisticated enough except the moral is like always listen to cops like the like cops Every point she brings up about why cops are bad turns out to be totally true in this narrative. And yet the end of the story is still like, dumb woman just didn't listen to the cops. All of the pathos of this movie is this four hour long death scene with the undercover cop. (laughs) Uh, Here's the thing. I feel like I'm going to like spoiler alert say like we always like go like, should you watch this movie? No. Do not watch this movie. (laughs) If you want to skip to the four-minute death scene that happens about... It's really just around an hour into this movie. If you just click around anywhere in there, you probably are going to find it. Because it's literally the same shot for five... Really hard Uh, close-up on a blonde guy. Yeah. Really hard close-up. And actually, I will say that there are some interesting film techniques like that of... We're going to watch this guy die completely Mm -hmm. zoomed in on his face that would read as avant-garde today. There's movies that I like because I kind of spent all last year going to just see a movie every week, even if there were no good movies. So this is how I ended up watching like Maze Runner, The Scorch Trials. (laughs) You can always tell that there one. I to this day am sad that you won't last a day out in The Scorch did not become a meme because just... (laughs) The way Peter Baelish yells you won't last a day out in the scorch is legitimately great. One of the things that happens when you see really bad movies is you end up watching for the one person that's like fucking going above and beyond on the design team. And there was a set designer on this film that like had watched some German expressionist film and was fucking into it. And God bless them, because they're the only person that did not clock out at 4.55 every day on this movie. They fucking worked nights and weekends, and they were the only one. (laughs) Yeah, because the actors clocked out before they clocked in. I mean, just remarkably bad acting. Oh, yeah. The close-up on the face death scene is one of those things that's like, 
this is a really interesting directorial choice, but there is nowhere to hide bad acting. Yeah. And boy, this movie is full of it. But it's also one of those things where you really have some time to like sit there and consider all the angles on that death scene. I, around the the second false death, started going, now, is this an acting problem or is it a script writing problem? Because on some level, I don't know if anyone could deliver three separate death monologues in a row that are totally disconnected from each other and from any character development that <laughs> happened more than five minutes ago. I kind of started rooting for the guy. I mean, he's going for it. The director isn't saying cut, and he's not stopping. And that's how this is supposed to work. It's just that at some point, the director is supposed to say cut and go to the editing room and go, hmm, this is going on a little too long. And that never happened. Uh, A little too long is an understatement. To give the guy his due, I think there is definitely a part of this movie where, or a part of the behind the scenes where it was like, well, here's our budget for film, so we're just taking the first take every time. Here's what I will say for the guy with the overly long death scene. In a movie where everyone is overacting, he is the only one who spends a lot of the movie overacting as a deliberate character choice that is smart, because he spends his entire time undercover doing the, like, most over-the-top vaudeville drunk guy. Like, he is just the most drunk, lecherous asshole mobster in this way that it's like, laying it on a big thick there, bud. Except he is laying it on a bit thick there because he's an undercover cop. And bad at it. I think we're supposed to know he's bad at it? I mean, we're supposed to know he's an undercover cop, because in the first act you see him come in, um, and that's how the daughter knows. And so, like, I don't know if we're supposed to think he's bad at it so much as we are supposed to, like, this is an indicator to the audience that, like, remember, this is the undercover cop guy. That's why he's doing this. Yeah, I couldn't decide if it's that he's bad at being undercover or if the director is bad at trusting the audience to not be moronic. I think it's the second thing. Which pisses me off. Yes, agreed. I mean, here's what I'll say. I think that undercover cop is the best actor in the movie. And I don't think he's a very good actor. It's like the thing where you teach actors how to act drunk. This is the absolute ne plus ultra of what not to do. Mm -hmm. When you have acting teachers, they tell you drunk people try to act as if they're not drunk, but fail. So lean into overcompensating, not being a sloppy wreck. Yes. And I felt the same way about the death scene where it's like, I have seen performances of A Midsummer Night's Dream where Bottom, who is supposed to be dragging out his death scene as long as humanly possible has more subtlety and, like, cuts it off way faster than this death scene that is supposed to be super-duper genuine does. (laughs) But, like, I still am gonna argue, like, who's the better actor than that guy in this film? Oh, no one. Yeah. Absolutely no one. Uh, Chester Morris, who plays Chick Williams, who is our gangster, was just agonizing to watch. I mean, first of all, I don't know if this was the first example of the, like, you dirty rat gangster (laughs) accent, but I literally turned to Sean, my fiance, and was like, where is this accent from? Is it supposed to be Chicago? Or, like, 
Did anyone ever really talk that way? To me, the weirdest thing about Chick Williams, besides the fact that his name is better than anything in this movie. Oh, yeah. Is just from the moment you fucking see him, you're like, this guy's a fucking douchebag. And then at the end, he like reveals a whole second layer of being a douchebag, like becomes an (laughs) even douchier, more cowardly asshole. And you kind of think like, Wait, was he supposed to have been hiding it this whole time? Was this supposed to be the, like, dramatic reveal that this guy who has been doing a You Dirty Rat accent for the entire film is not a good dude? Like, what what is happening in the last 15 minutes of this movie? Well, first of all, in a movie full of bad overacting, he just really steps it up a level. Yeah. When he's got the police pointing a gun at him in his own home... And he's staggering back for a good five minutes. He finds, like, more of the room to stagger back into after he's already found a wall four times. There there genuinely was a moment where he comes up against a door. And I thought, oh my god, he's going to exit out that door and continue backing up through the door. <laughs> for a second. He's clutching his stomach as if he's been shot and yet has not been shot. And is truly in disbelief that the police would come to his home and aim a gun at him after he's murdered an undercover cop. Murdered two cops. Oh, yeah. He has killed two cops in the space of, like, two days after getting out of prison. And is, like, genuinely shocked. Like, here's the thing. He has gone to his home to run away from the scene of a crime where he shot an undercover cop heard the police banging on the door as he was running out and did not check that the undercover cop was fully dead already. And yet he is utterly shocked that his plan has fallen apart when he gets back home. baffled. I mean, maybe we're just really conditioned from watching infinite crime movies and TV shows to think that, like, you know, the way that you discover a crime has to be very complicated because criminals are good at covering stuff up. That is the thing that infuriates me about this movie is it is called Alibi. The central conceit of the movie is this dude's alibi. This alibi is so fucking easy for the cops to break down. They literally bring in one criminal and fucking lean on him for eight seconds. And the guy is immediately like, oh yeah, Chick Williams did it. Don't tell. His alibi is like one of those colanders that you can't strain pasta out of because the spaghetti slips through because the holes are too big. Like, that's his alibi. His alibi is literally that he is going to the theater and then he goes and commits the crime during the intermission. Which, one, again, why are you doing this? If the crime takes 15 minutes, this makes no sense. Like, to get out of the theater, to go to where this criminal enterprise is taking place, to actually do it, to get back in your car, to drive back to the theater, to get back in time, while setting up someone to lie for you. This is a fucking in-and-out job. Like, I don't know why you're setting up a specific time box around yourself. Here's the key part of that that the movie really glosses over is, the actual alibi there is... Another criminal lies for him. (laughs) That's the alibi. And there's no need for it to be that complicated because they don't use the complication. 
Like, I thought what it was going to be was this, like, deep psychological study of the daughter, right? Because, like, if you get the daughter of a police sergeant to constantly lie and go, oh, no, oh, no, it couldn't have been him. Like, that's a good alibi. But she's never lying for him. She's just finding out she was an idiot to be married to a mm-hmm. gangster. She doesn't at any point lie for him. So he's just gone through this overcomplicated thing to bring himself to the attention of this police sergeant (laughs) for nothing. I really don't understand why she needs to exist in this movie at all. They set up the possibility for a dramatic tension and then just completely toss it out. And there's no relationship with Chick at all. No. She's just there so that the movie can call her dumb for believing that criminals can reform themselves. Basically, yeah. That is the entire point of her existence in this movie. Right. And it's like such a waste because it could have been so interesting if you even, even if you wanted to go with that shitty moral, which I'm still angry about. Even if you wanted to go with that shitty moral, this like long drawn out psychological study of her like compromising her morals because she just, she has to believe he can be different. He's got to be able to be different. And she goes farther and farther for him until she's like thrown her whole life away. It's like, well, then at least we're fucking telling that story well. But we don't even do that. Like, she just, like, he keeps hiding from her very effectively, much more effectively than he does from the police, that he is a criminal. And then at the end, she's like, oh, fuck, he was a criminal. And then ends up marrying the cop, I guess, probably. Yeah, why does she keep needing to be married off to various men, A? Yes. And B... What is her reason for rebelling against her dad in the first place? I mean, that's the thing, is that, like, her actual textual cited reason is a good reason, because her dad turns out to be a fucking corrupt cop that drives people to jail with no evidence. Literally says he is going to shoot a guy and then frame him as trying to escape. Mm -hmm. And then, like, and I think you're supposed to think it's like a fucking, like, Batman thing where he's never going to actually drop the guy off the roof. But, like, fucking still... The daughter has a point, and the movie doesn't ever seem to be interested in exploring that. In which case, why did you have her have a point in the first place? Just have her be bitter and angry. Like, just have her be rebelling against her dad. That's clearly what you think she's doing anyway, so just have her do that. Don't make her have a point before you do that. And there's no chemistry between her and Chick Williams. No. I mean, if you wanted to just do the straight up, oh, but they're passionately in love. The guy has been out of jail for two days. How does she even get involved with him in the first place? And then married to him in that 10 seconds in between him getting out of jail and killing the first cop. To be fair, no one in this movie has any chemistry except maybe the police sergeant and the rando cop. The daughter has no chemistry with the with our assistant, I guess, lead. Well, no, Jack Ch- Chick Williams is the lead, sadly. But the the other cop dude is, I guess, our protagonist. But it's so weird because he never does anything until the very last scene where he pretends to shoot Chick Williams just so that he can be sure to call Chick Williams a coward. When he, which, by the way, is a really elaborate, dumb plan in itself. There's so much and yet so little to this film, Susan. 
So many things happen, and none of them are good or interesting. That's the most succinct review. And even at an hour and a half long, it felt interminable. It's an hour 20, and it is the longest film I have watched all year. I do not understand. Because a lot of things happen, none of which have any support at all, and, like, there's no narrative support for anything that happens in this movie. Man... Remember that good, good shot of the, like, lineup in the police station that happens, like, a halfway through this movie? Oh, yeah, that's that's good. Just you're constantly moving to new locations and going, like, mm, maybe something interesting will happen in this scene. It will not. No. It's just a series of brilliant establishing shots into terrible, terrible scenes. That is definitely it. I don't even know that there's anything more to say. <sighs> like... This may be the shortest episode we've ever done because there's nothing to talk about. Well, there's the other female character who gets the female lead's plot line. Like, it's really weird they, like, don't want to, like, sully the honorable daughter of the police sergeant. So they just give her entire plot to this random secondary female character who's trapped in a loveless marriage with a gangster that she also got into for no fucking explicable reason. And then is very, very sad about it because we don't want to have the female lead who is good and pure and has to be married off to a random police guy do anything to sully herself. There's the random dancing girl that fell in love with the uh, undercover cop for some reason. Oh, the dancing girls are one of the things that we've completely missed talking about, which I feel like are only in there so they can have shots of knockoff Rockettes. The Knockettes? I... Nope. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, no, that, that goes weird places. Yeah, I feel like there's this weird thing in all of the movies this year where, like, the musicals are the only good ones. I haven't watched the other musical, but I assume it is also fine on this because all of them want to be musicals because they haven't figured out what to do with audio if you're not filling time with random musical numbers every 10 minutes. Yeah, there are three in this of just, like, we're at a club and here's some girls and a kick line. And the lighting is really bad in those shots. Yes. Which is amazing to me. Like, the girls are all dressed in white, and it's blown out so much that when they're in a line, you can't see individual dancers. It is weird because outside of those scenes, when you're not in the club, this movie has, like, a very clear, like, art direction of, like, it is a battle between lights and darks. Right. That sounds pretentious as shit, and it is, and yet that is totally 100% what is going on in, like, the set design and the lighting design whenever you're not in, like, a scene with dialogue. They are telling the story through the sets. Then they're like, also, dancing girls. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> We're lit like a 50s sitcom. And it's very weird. I mean, here is the final thing to debate is, like, I guess it's still better than in old Arizona. Yeah? It is more technically adept. And it is only offensive to women and not women and entire races of people. Yeah, only. Again, I'm not really arguing we're going to fucking put this high on the scoreboard. See, I'm going to say that it ties with in old Arizona because it's less offensive generally. Okay. But the plot is so full of holes and completely pointless. Whereas in old Arizona does have the super tight five minute plot twist that if the movie was otherwise good, would make it a good narrative. 
This had no story that needed to be told, and I don't think it even needed to be told in 1929. Yeah, no. And, like, that's the other thing I was thinking about, is that, like, I was gonna give this movie a pass on the level of, like, I mean, I guess you just can't have morally complicated cops and robbers stories yet. Except there was a fucking morally complicated cops and robbers story last year. See, if this movie did anything well, it made me think that the racket was brilliant. And I didn't like that movie. At least in terms of, like, the morality of it and the, like, narrative of it, a fucking cop who has this gangster that it that's, like, his white whale that he will do anything for and, like destroys his own sense of right and wrong as it turns out for nothing because the system was bullshit all along. Again, it was not particularly well told, but it is a way more interesting story to have told in a mediocre manner than this boring, unnecessary, (laughs) mediocrely told story. Right. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. What did we give in old Arizona? Like a one? I think we had a debate about whether zero or one was the lowest score we were going to give and gave it one above that. Okay. So I think I gave it a two and you gave it a one. I'm going to go ahead and give Alibi a right on the same level tie. You're also going to give it a one? Yep. Because I'll also give it a two. I will stick with the two because I just like, again, they didn't do blackface. You got You got to do that to get down to the one. I do uh, another podcast where I review Star Trek episodes with another friend of mine. And I like there are a lot of bad episodes of Star Trek, but there's only one with the planet of black people coming to steal your white women. So you really got to reserve your ones for the stuff that absolutely deserves it. That's fair. That's fair. So, okay, if we decided that zero is right out, then I'll give everything a two. Okay. If this is one of those scoring systems where you still have to give a star, uh, one out of ten. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that this movie is quite at, like, <laughs> we give it, ah, uh, fuck, why am I even doing this anymore? Hard drink of whiskey, walk out of the room kind of a review. I almost didn't finish it. Uh but I plowed through. I think that there's a thing where like the terrible death scene kind of gives you a weird momentum. That's true. Cause you're like, well now, now something has happened. And then you look at it and you're like, man, 20 minutes left. They can't possibly have that be drawn out and slow and pointless and stupid. There's so much that has yet to happen that has to happen before the end of this movie in just 20 minutes. But then doesn't. There's so much that doesn't ever happen. No, there's no emotional confrontation between Chick Williams and the daughter. There's no moment where he, like, reveals his whole plan. They just kind of show up and go, like... We know it was you, just like we did all along. And he goes, what? (laughs) And then they pretend to shoot him. Oh, here is the... Okay, I have to say this. The most frustrating thing about this movie... Oh, yes, my God, I can't believe we left this out. Is that it ends on almost an interesting chase sequence. Like, you get to the first shot of what's going to be an interesting chase sequence where Chick Williams is going to jump from building to building and the other cop's going to have to follow him. And Chick Williams just fucking falls down between the two buildings (laughs) and dies. And then they're like, well, movie's over. After they pretend to shoot him with blanks and he falls down and is like, I'm dead. Yes. And it's never clear if he even was aware that he had not been shot and was just faking it. It's just 
he gets up. Uh, the implication is he he fainted out of fear, which again <laughs> is one of those things that's like that's super great. Except like the, people have a lot of different fear responses, my dude. Putting <laughs> blanks in your gun specifically so you can mock a criminal on the assumption that he is going to faint when you make him afraid instead of one of the, I don't know, dozens of other things a person could do when they get really scared is, like, just bad copping. Don't do that. <laughs> like, on the one hand, also don't just shoot criminals. So I guess I guess it's better than nothing, but, like, not much better than nothing. Yeah, it's not much better uh so i would say let's wrap this up and look forward to next week's hollywood review of 1929 yeah which has to be better it absolutely has to be better but it also is one of those titles that does not inspire confidence i mean the broadway melody didn't inspire confidence for me either and it's definitely the best movie we've seen so far that's fair but the but the hollywood review of 1929 kind of has that thing of like you know when you like are at the grocery store and you see the, the cover for like the first movie and what was clearly supposed to be a franchise but then never was like it's a bad sign that i don't know a lot about the hollywood review of 1937 right <laughs> like that they did this one and then we're like hmm, i guess we're done well, and they had dozens not dozens they had four broadway melodies yeah it's not like there stopped being hollywood or musical numbers after 1929 so i'm a little afraid to learn why they didn't just keep fucking doing what seems like a surefire moneymaker for like two decades but i guess we'll find out next week well, hopefully it'll be great yeah hopefully it'll be just a grand mystery goodbye <laughs> Bye. <laughs>